Will you please join with me together as we say the Apostles' Creed, our affirmation of faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to join the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Last week we began our study of the Apostle Paul and came to know the minister who would take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles throughout the known world of the early first century. Paul is a prime example of how God can turn a life around and use whomever he chooses to serve him in the most amazing ways. By his own words, Paul preached that in his previous life in Judaism, He intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. But when God met him on the road to Damascus, Paul's life was forever changed, and he became the most ardent spokesman for the gospel of Jesus Christ and one of the first missionaries of the early Christian church. He was able to use the scholarly training of his early years, combined with his zealous energy which was once used to persecute the very people he came to love. He used those things to spread to the Gentiles of the Middle East the joy and grace that comes with knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In our scripture lesson and the teaching from Pastor Keith today, we will focus on one of the many messages that Paul was compelled to share with the people he encountered on his travels telling them of the good news and proving to them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the risen Messiah. Our scripture message this morning is in two parts of Acts. We begin in chapter 9 with the end of verse 19, or yes, 19, where it says, Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And then we go to chapter 17 and begin with verse 16 and learn about Paul's message to the Greeks. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with them. Some of them asked, what is this this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. 
They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new preaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. May God add his blessings to the reading of this word. Will you join me now as we go into a time of prayer by singing our prayer chorus, Surely the Presence of the Lord. Almighty God, we humbly bow our spirits before you this morning in awe of the ways in which you can turn people's lives around. When we consider the many times you've taken a sinner such as Paul or a sinner such as ourselves and used us for your mighty purposes, we are astounded. Lord, we pray that our hearts will be open to hear your voice to feel the stirrings within us which guide us on the path you've chosen so that we will be willing servants and partners in the work you've laid out for us to do. 
We pray this morning for our friends, those who are here with us this morning, and those who cannot be here. We lift up those who have had physical ailments causing them to be hospitalized and pray that your healing hand will strengthen and renew Marilyn French, Diana Shores, Bertha Pearson, and Lauren McAllister. We also pray for the blessings of comfort and peace to be with the family of Maria Kelly who passed away this week. Lord, you are so close to the brokenhearted And it is your love that lifts them up and gives them strength. Lord, we also ask your blessings upon those who are graduating this weekend, for those who are traveling, for those who are celebrating the first weekend of summer. And we especially ask your blessings upon the families who are gathered here this morning and others who are remembering ones that have come to be with you in this last year. We praise you for your mighty plan of salvation, and we praise you for providing that way for us to spend eternity with you. Lord, we lift up all these as well as Pastor Keith, who is here to deliver your message to us this morning. We pray that you have given him boldness of heart and boldness of tongue to share with us the message your Holy Spirit has given him. Lord, Open our hearts and our minds to receive this message, which comes directly from you, that we can use to learn more about you, to learn more about your message for us, and the ways in which you can use each and every one of us to be your servants of your gospel. Lord, all these things we lift up in the name of your Son, Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. Just so you know, when I talk about Saul and Paul, it's the same person. You probably knew that. Technically, it's the same person, but practically, he's a completely different person. But I think what's interesting in the book of Acts, as we read through this text, we, there's not like this big moment when you see the name change. He didn't you know, come out with like a banner, now you call me Paul. It just says... Paul, who was also called Saul, but it it indicates that there was a a change there, and so don't let that throw you off, but this change has a lot to do with this radical conversion to Christ that Pastor Mike showed us last week in the text. Now, this conversion was pretty intense, so intense that it didn't just change Paul's mind, it changed his entire life, including his name. This conversion would take Paul out of his job, It would take him out of his religious community. It would take him out of every meaningful relationship that he had. You see, when he met Jesus Christ, Paul was a changed person in every way you can imagine. And and as we saw last week, when he was knocked off that horse and blinded by that light, God also gave a vision to a man named Ananias, to whom Paul would be sent and be ministered to. And and God spoke to Ananias too, and he, he said, I must show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
And indeed, that would prove to be true. See, Paul would become perhaps one of the most despised men in the region. He would be pursued. He would be beaten repeatedly. He would be left for dead, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, ravaged by hunger, misunderstood and rejected by his friends, and eventually murdered. And I don't think that he would have had it any other way, except maybe the snake part. That was kind of unnecessary, right? You, you know. But when you think about it, this is the type of experience that went along with his conversion. And if you would have tried to sell that to somebody beforehand, hey, come to meet Jesus, and this is what's going to happen. There's a radically different message than what we present with the gospel these days, isn't it? But this is the conversion that took place in Saul's life. And I think as we dig into this scripture, we see exactly how amazing it was what his response was. You see, as the first scripture that Vicky explained to us, he spent several days in the, in, with the disciples in Damascus, but it tells us that at once he went to the synagogue and began to preach that Jesus was the Christ. Now, they were baffled by this, actually, because, I, I, you know, this isn't the guy who they expected to hear that message from. And indeed, this goes to the message of Paul. You see, Paul's message is that you don't have to wait. Notice he didn't hesitate. He didn't have some sort of cooling off period. He didn't have a part in it where he had to like wait to see if the phase of Jesus wore off in his life. It says that once he began to go and preach. He didn't try to earn the right to preach the gospel. He just went and did it. And people were astonished because they had good reason to be. Another thing that's interesting to me to me about this text is that Luke doesn't record the words that Paul uses to, to, to quote, prove that Jesus is the Christ. I think that's pretty interesting, and I think it's probably an indication that the exact words that Paul used weren't the point. The point was who Paul was and what he was doing, and the message couldn't be clearer. Jesus had radically changed this man's life in an instant. See, the message of Paul goes beyond what he said. We give messages in our lives not only by the words that we use, but by our actions and by our attitudes, by our life experiences, and most importantly, I believe, by the way we respond to them. That preaches loud and clear. You see, your life message, my life message, is not just what we say. It's a combination of, of our words and of our responses to the things that we've done, both good and bad. See, it matters where we come from when you think about what we say and what we do. I have a, I have a friend of mine whom who I met many years ago when he had offered to pay my way on a trip to Europe. Now, how many of you have ever had your way paid for by a stranger to go to Europe? Probably not too many. I was as surprised as anybody. And as I sat down for, for a, a lunch with a friend of mine, he said, Hey, how would you like to come uh, to Europe with a few of us and your trip's all paid for? It's a spiritual pilgrimage. And I said, Well, who's, who's behind this? And what is the catch? He said, Just come and find out. So, so I went and, and I met this amazing person who, who was going to pay for my trip. And, and when we got to his house to have a little orientation, I noticed there were about 30 of us there. And then I found out later that, that this man who had become my friend was paying for about 20 people's trip to Europe. Now you do the math. That's no cheap thing, is it? 
And I wondered what this was all about, why someone would do that. So when we were over in, in the former Yugoslavia on, on a spiritual pilgrimage, see, I was with a bunch of Roman Catholics. I was the only Protestant on the trip. So it was quite an experience for me. But we were in these holy sites for the Catholic Church. And, and, and I remember walking across this field with my friend Greg. And I said, Greg, why are you doing this? Why do you bring people like me and bring others over here because these weren't regular church people on this trip these were like single moms these were the students these were people who there's no way in the world could afford to do something like that and he began to tell me the story about how when when he was a a nominal christian at best you know a church-going person lived a pretty decent moral life but his his religious experience was little more than that how someone had invited him over to this place and he went there and while there had a a tremendous conversion experience and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And and when he returned home, he started a new business and the business was tanking. I mean, it was headed downhill and he recalled to me one day that he sat in the church with his wife and they barely had enough money to buy the week's groceries and as the offering plate came by, he said, I don't think we can afford to put anything in. And she said, have you seen our checkbook? I don't think we can afford not to. And, and in an amazing turn of events, his business began to explode and he was blessed and became very prosperous. And in doing so, determined that the money God was bringing into his life would not be for his own personal disposal, but rather to be used to help others. And part of his ministry now is he takes several dozen people overseas on these spiritual pilgrimages each year. And that's amazing to me when I think about where he had come from. And the message of his life was that Jesus is more important than money. Was that converting to Jesus has more to do with with this experience. And that that experience of, of being converted to Christ, you can't put a price tag on it. And that it's important to share that message with others, even at your own personal expense. You see, if, this, if my friend had grown up with, with heaps of money and, and was just kind of throwing it around, it wouldn't be as meaningful. But it is when you realize where he had come from. You see, Paul's past as an enemy of the gospel makes his present message as a proponent of the gospel that much more meaningful. See, it's one thing for someone like the Apostle Peter, who we talked about earlier, to preach the gospel. He was Jesus' friend, but Paul was Jesus' enemy. So his message goes beyond his words. His message is this. I was wrong about Jesus, but now I'm changed. And now I am sold out to the gospel 100%. Paul's message is that Jesus changes anybody. Paul's message is that God can use even our response to our past failures and sins as a way to bring glory to himself. You see, you celebrate or you grieve where you are today only when you can remember where you were yesterday. And for Paul, this new life and message was rather shocking, and it spoke volumes about the power of Jesus and the power of gospel. Now, how did the church receive this message? At first, it it was unknown. See, the Christians didn't know what to make of Paul. Imagine someone who's your fiercest enemy now coming and pretending to be your friend. They thought he was some sort of operative. They thought he was some sort of spy determined to infiltrate their ranks so that he could haul them off to prison or expose them. It took courage for the new believers to accept and trust Paul, but soon they did, and then Paul's ministry began. And as you read the book of Acts, you see many instances where he, he just goes on tour. He just takes the show on the road and he goes around everywhere preaching the good news about Jesus, talking to people. But this text in Acts 17 is probably my favorite example of that. 
when Paul goes to Athens and he, he surveys the culture and he goes and debates with the philosophers and, and the religious people of the day, that, that is amazing to me because it's an amazing story of evangelism, I think, on, on so many levels. And a couple of things I want to point out to you about that that have to do with this message. First and foremost, you have to realize here that Paul was speaking to to non-Jewish people. He was speaking to Greeks. Now, to you and I, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But remember where Paul had come from. He was a Pharisee. Paul and the rest of the Pharisees believed that any non-Jew, any Gentile, were created with one sole purpose in mind, to keep hell hot. There was no place in God's plan for Gentiles. There was no place in God's plan for the gospel. This is the way they believed, and yet now here Paul is going to places that he never would have considered, going to people that he never would have considered going to. And he walks right into the center of their culture, and he doesn't talk down to them. He relates to them right where they are, and he connects their understanding to the gospel. There are so many things we can learn from Paul's message here. See, his ultimate message to the people was not that they were fools or evil, His message to them was that their religious understanding was getting them only so far to the truth, but not far enough. He then offers Christ to them as the name of the anonymous God that they have been worshiping. He even goes so far as to quote their pagan prophets to them. He connects what they know with the truth of the gospel, and that is classic evangelism at its finest, I believe. So what's the message here? Beyond the gospel truth that Paul preaches, the message is that it's important to understand the people that you want to share the gospel with. It says that Paul walked around the city. He went to their temples. He carefully studied their houses of worship. Now, can you imagine that as a Pharisee, a person who is so consumed and obsessed with ritual holiness and and, and temple cleansing so that he wouldn't be defiled, so that he could go into worship? Now, here he is walking around Gentile lands, going to Gentile houses of worship, studying Gentile altars. This man was changed. Why would he do that? Because the gospel is ultimately about love. And you can't authentically share the gospel with someone if you don't love them. See, if love isn't your motivation, then you're not like Christ. Love takes you to places that you normally wouldn't go to understand people you normally would want nothing to do with. Now, is that not a picture of what Jesus has done when he became a human being? when he became like us so that he could reach us? Is that not the call of the gospel to the church? We are to go into the world and preach the gospel because God so loved the world. And that was Paul's message. That was what he spoke and that was what he lived. He had heard it from Jesus. And because we have this book, and I brought the big Bible today, so you know I wasn't messing around. That's the message that we have heard too. See, there really should be no difference between Jesus' message and Paul's message and our message. It's the same message, but what makes it unique and different is the places that we come from and the perspective that we bring to it. See, no one else could give the same message Paul could give in the same way. Not because of the words only, but because of where he had come from. And the same is true for you, and the same is true for me. So what does your life say? What do the lives of those who we honor here today in the memorial service say? What is our message? 
How have we responded to our successes and to our failures? And what message does it send? With regard to our past failures and our sins, do we run and hide and feel like we're not worthy to share the gospel? Or do we minimize and justify and try to pretend that they're not there? With regard to our successes, do we, do we put ourselves up on a pedestal and, and, and inflate our own understanding of ourselves? Do we become arrogant and haughty and self-righteous? It seems like we either do one or the other. But there's another way. It's the gospel way. And the gospel way is this. To acknowledge and repent of our sin, but to let God redeem us. And to always remain humble, aware of God's grace, aware of whatever we've been through, God can use. See, my hope is that in all things, our message today would mirror Paul's, that we would use the entirety of our lives to bring glory to God, that we, like Paul, would prove to the people that Jesus Christ exists by the change in us. You see, that's the proof. Don't you think that if there were some magic words that Paul used to prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, that Luke would have included them? I mean, if it were just a simple matter of the right philosophical understanding, we would have that message. If it were just the, the, the matter of some sort of, of, of empirical evidence that would convince every skeptic, we would have that. But that's not what's included in the scripture. Sure, those things exist. Sure, you can debate philosophy. Sure, you can prove from history the the truth of the gospels. But really, according to the Bible and according to Paul, the proof was in the change that was a part of his life. It's the change that cannot be attributed to your own free will or your own motivation. It's the way that you were knocked off your proverbial horse and blinded. It's the voice of God that told you where to go. It's the suffering that we do for his name. That's the proof. And that's the message. Is that your message? Is that my message? Or is our message something different? See, does our message say that that God is important in our lives, but only as long as there's nothing else more important? That's a message. Does our message show people that God has truly changed us? Or when you get right down to it, even though we say we have faith in Jesus, we're really not much different from everyone else. Are we suffering for his name? Or has our addiction to comfort and worldly acceptance silenced our voice? See, are we preaching the gospel at once? Or are we waiting, some, waiting for something? Waiting for an opportunity where we feel it's safe? Or waiting for an opportunity to where we feel like we have the right words? Or when we think we're good enough? Are we seeking to understand and love the people that we're trying to reach right where they are? Or do we only surround ourselves with people just like us? And talk about Jesus only when we have determined it's safe or appropriate. See, everybody's life says something. Paul's life said that Jesus Christ was the real deal. That there was nothing more important. That there was no one beyond the love of God. And that Paul himself loved them even enough to bring that message because of the love of God. You see, Paul himself would later write 
that you can have everything else figured out. You can have the right words. You can have the right uh, memorized scripture. You can have all that going on. But if you don't have love, he says you're nothing. Our prayer this morning is that the love of Christ would compel us. That we would speak and preach and live the message of the gospel boldly, loudly, and clearly. Because we love this world. Not the evil, sinful part of the world, but we love the world that God created and called good. And the people of the world that bear the image of God, that worship something in this world, even though they don't know what it is that hole in their heart that they seek after, that unknown God we proclaim is Jesus Christ. And that God has the power to change anyone. He can change you right here today. He can change me. He can change us. And there's no one in your life right now that is beyond that love. And maybe today it's time for you to use your life to share that message with them. Let's pray together. Lord, our heart's desire is that we would honor you with the message of our lives, that we would bring to you everything that we have and trust that you would change us and transform us, Lord, that you would do for us what you've done for Paul so that we may go into this world and serve you and love others, always proclaiming the message that Jesus is the Christ. It's in your awesome name we pray. Amen.